0: Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Embellished Podcast, a podcast focused on product stories, product storytellers, interesting brand ambassadors, and any other tangent that I happen to come up with. Whether you're a bourbon fan, geek, casual observer, or someone just floating through this channel, I hope you find it interesting. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. Hopefully that can be found on any podcasting platform that exists, and if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com, and I'll try to get that taken care of. I also generally live stream the recording of these episodes on YouTube. And you can find all of my links on Instagram at EmbellishPod or Twitter with the exact same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It's a place to go pick up these links, episode details, and more. Now, today is Wednesday, October the 12th. And we are going to be talking about Lost Lantern with Nora and Adam. i got both of you guys today. Um, let's start with this idea. Um, you guys are an independent bottler. And as I topped out my notes, I had to continually remind myself that independent does not have an A in it. I don't know if that's a thing that you guys run into regularly or not, but I don't spell it enough. But so independent bottling is pretty prevalent in the rest of the world, but maybe not so much in North American whiskey. So give me an idea of what independent bottling is. Yeah. So independent bottling, like you said, very common in other parts of the whiskey
1: world is really um, companies like ours that buy whiskey from distilleries around the country or around the world and release it with full transparency on where it comes from. And the idea really being to help people discover whiskey from distilleries they otherwise couldn't get their hands on or didn't know about or both. Um, Often they also do some, some blending and creating unique releases that couldn't exist on their own. So this is a tradition that's existed in Scotland for 200 years, and for a long time, was often the only way to get a lot of single malts that are now quite common. But in the 80s or 90s, independent bottlers were the only ones putting out those those whiskeys uh, under their label. So we've really brought this model to the U.S. market. We we release whiskey from distilleries from all across the country. We we've, we've sourced whiskey from I think more than a dozen states already in the the two years since we've launched and put it out with always with full transparency where it comes from to help people discover distilleries they don't know and tell their stories and explain why people should be excited about them, even if they've never tried that whiskey before.
0: And I, I've I've noticed this, uh, maybe it's not a growing trend. It's been around for a while. You guys have been around for a while. Um, but, you know, we have people like Mash and Grain who are um, a website that have now turned into a blending group that they're focusing on a lot of what might be considered craft. And I don't like that term because that can have, if you hear some loud cracking, there's a thunderstorm in my area. So you may get to hear that. Um, but there's, um, kind of a negative connotation that can come with the word craft, and I, I think that's maybe going away a little bit. But you know, Mash and Grain is doing that, and then Blind Barrels Out West is, ex- is explicitly selecting craft distillers. Um, Eads Blind did the same thing. Everybody's kind of focusing on this. Um, what What is your take on like craft? Like, are Are you guys focusing on craft, or just anybody who's making whiskey that is good?
2: So. We like to say we focus on newer distilleries. Craft can mean many things to many people, good, bad, ugly, whatever. But for us, really, we're focusing on distilleries that have something interesting to say about what whiskey can be. And so far, that's been distilleries that have opened in the last 10-ish years with a little, out- a few little outliers in the 20-year category. But in some ways... We are trying to bring drinkers to new places to discover new things. Where we all know and love Kentucky bourbon, we all know and love Kentucky rye. But what a lot of people don't necessarily know is that great bourbon is also made in Iowa, in California, in many places. And part of that is because a lot of these newer distilleries are focused regionally. So it's really hard for drinkers to find really good things unless they spend a lot of time and money sifting through everything. So I think more and more there's an opportunity for companies like ours to help people find what's interesting out there. What And we, we sift, we kick the tires, we visit every distillery we work with so that we understand what they're doing, who they are, what their geography is like. And for us, the interesting thing is, no, Iowa bourbon is not going to taste like Kentucky bourbon, but why? why is that great? why is that different? and so i think that there's a lot of really great whiskey that's being made outside of places like Scotland or Kentucky and you're starting to see a bunch of companies rise to the top with that because it's it's a market that people haven't really cracked yet. yeah.
0: <laughs> and I, i'm i'm I absolutely love Like I said, I don't have a problem with craft, but craft can have a connotation to it. Um, Smaller distilleries have an agility that large distilleries can't for innovation, for partnering with local producers. You know, I I think about um, at a a smaller scale, you can partner with a single farmer to have him uh, try to identify a specific variety of corn that you want to use that no one else is using But if you're at the volume of heaven Hill, you can't do that. You can't get from a single grower. You can't have those kinds of things. And so innovation is, is much greater kind of at a, at a smaller level. And then, um the the large holders seem to come in after that and be like all right now we're going to steal some of your ideas and we're going to kind of put them to scale or whatever um but you guys do seasonal releases with some of these newer distilleries um so give me the what's the the elevator speech on the fall 2022 cast collection lineup that you guys have
1: yeah so our our fall cast collection which launched in in september is really centered around a, a theme of discovery so even more than most of our other releases this is focused on distilleries that are often only available in a couple of markets or in one market. So that maybe you've heard of them if you're elsewhere, but have never been able to get your hands on them, or maybe you've never heard of them at all. But they're places that we think are making really unique whiskeys that deserve to be known. And we released five single casks in the collection, uh, a peated single malt from Boulder Spirits in Colorado. That was, uh, uh, I think that's five years old and that was actually a hazmat release. That was uh, 140 something proof. Two whiskeys from Cedar Ridge in Iowa, a five-year-old bourbon and a six-year-old malted rye. Um, A single malt from Washington State from Copperworks Distilling, which was actually much like you were just alluding to earlier, was made with barley grown from one single farm uh, with a farmer they worked with closely to go to their specifications. And then we released an eight-year-old malted wheat whiskey from Brooklyn Distilling in Brooklyn, New York which is a distillery. It's basically only available in New, in New York, York city. city yeah. So mm-hmm. um, really limited distribution. Otherwise single cask, eight years old. Uh, and that in particular has been, has been really exciting for us because very few people have tried malted wheat whiskey before. And it's, it's so different than the wheat whiskeys that, that I'm familiar with and, and
0: really unique and fun. <laughs> So I I'll, know I'll, I'll I'll start with I, I ordered a, a Cedar Ridge offering and um, it got hung up in Mississippi. So it's not here yet. I haven't had a chance, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, but backing up, you said there's a there's a peated uh, offering from Boulder Spirits. And, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't. Do you, Where do they? I didn't know this. and Maybe you guys knew this and I'm the, the guy that's late to this. But like there's peat in the United States, right? Like you can yeah. go get peat in northern India. Did they source their peat from the United States or is this like from somewhere else? So for that, for Boulder, their whiskey,
1: uh, their peat actually comes from the Highlands of Scotland. Okay. Um, Boulder actually was started by a, a, a Scotsman, so they have uh, some some pretty close connections there, mm-hmm. um, and that's true for a lot of the peated single malt made in the U.S. But like you said, not all of it. We've also released peated single malt from McCarthy's in Oregon that is made with Islay peat, so still from Scotland, but a different region and a different flavor and um copperworks which is one of the partners in this release has made whiskey with washington peat we haven't released any of that but it is uh, really cool and unique and yeah. we're going to see more of that over the next couple of years
2: yeah really it's it's copperworks and westland that we know of yeah. that are that are actively using american peat and it's, we haven't been able to get our hands on any cast with that yet because that's that's <laughs> precious whiskey right there but one day we hope to
0: yeah, and the, I I don't know, I think it was an episode of Distiller's Talk that Alan Bishop was on, and he was talking about Indiana has a peat bog as well, which I didn't know about. And so he was like, you know, there's there's peat in his own state that he wants to try to use for his stuff. And so, you know, obviously the whiskey geek in me is like, yes, please that, you know, because um, I've, I've said a number of times, not necessarily, you know bourbon is a you know a hot category right now but um it'll go the way of craft beer which went the way of wine before that and we'll be looking for the next thing and it's either in my mindset going to be american single malts and what you can do with those things or finishing whiskey you know whether it's you know unique casks or or whatever else is going on so i I really like to to look into what we're doing uh, because you know i feel like given the uniqueness of our climate we can take what Scotland has been doing for a long time and give it a very, very unique spin while kind of, you know, kind of paying homage to the, to the original version of it.
1: Yeah. Our, our favorite unique spin like that is actually a different kind of American smoked whiskey that of course we don't have any of right now. Um, but uh, there are some distillers in the Southwest experimenting with mesquite smoked whiskey where yep. basically the same process, but instead of using peat, they're taking local mesquite wood, using that to, uh, to malt the barley. And it adds this like interesting,
0: like orangey
1: barbecue flavor to it a little bit of heat.
0: Uh, I'm looking at my Del Bach over here yep, thinking exactly. about that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Whiskey
2: Del Bach and Santa Fe Spirits, which makes Cole Keegan are the two that we've worked Yeah. With.
0: I, have, I haven't made it to Cole Keegan yet, but it's on the list of my list of like bottles to buy is way too long. <laughs> so, so it's on the list. I just haven't made it that far yet. So um, you, you guys have a very intentional brand that you're building out here, um, but you both kind of, you came from spirit centric careers, but like how, how did the two of you come together to create Lost Lantern? Like, how does this happen?
1: Yeah. So on our, on our experience, like you said, we both came from the industry in in different ways. I was a, a senior whiskey specialist and editor for whiskey advocate magazine. So I was reviewing whiskeys from all around the world and writing, actually it, the idea came when I was writing a story about independent bottlers in Scotland and I was writing a different story about new and innovative American distilleries. And it, clicked for me that like this independent body model really should exist in the United States too. And it took a couple years to get from this should exist to nobody has started yet it yet. So we have to start it. But, well, we eventually got there and I I brought the idea to Nora, who is uh, is also, uh, we're married, (laughs) um, but she's from the spirits industry too.
2: Yeah, I mean, I worked at Wines and Spirits for a couple of years as sales manager there, so more on the retail side, but great crash course and all things spirits. Um, But I also have a background in finance and startup operations, so... Between the two of us with his relationships with distillers, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and my background on the more business side, we were able to actually think about building a company that that will um, allow us to continue putting out really exciting whiskey for a while. And we both have very trained palates, so we pick everything together, mm-hmm. but he has to go find it before it's done, yeah. time to taste together.
0: Mm-hmm. So you, you guys, uh, did you get married before you started the brand or after?
1: After. Actually, actually after we were um we got engaged shortly after we moved out of new york city and started an eight-month road trip around the country to visit distilleries but at that point like we were pretty deep into planning that we we're going to start this business together we like mm-hmm. we
2: one would hope that <laughs> that would, it would extend into getting married but you never know after eight months on the road what way that would end up
0: right and that's you know cause, Part of me questions like, you know, if you got married and then decided, hey, let's start this brand new business from complete scratch and <laughs> add those stresses on. Like, what's the next stressful thing you want to add into that marriage? But you, you started the thing and then you like, you know what, we we started this stressful thing and then we, we can make this 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 work here. But uh, you mentioned you went on an eight month uh, trip. I think I read somewhere it was like 100 distilleries through the course of eight months, um, which sounds both amazing and terrible at the same time right? Because yeah. that's like a lot. That's a Correct. lot to yeah. go through.
1: It's a lot, Especially at that point, we're staying at a lot of weird, weird best Westerns on the outskirts of, of towns. And uh-huh. I remember when we went to visit Wyoming whiskey, which is like probably the most remote distillery I've been to anywhere in the world, including the highlands of Scotland. And like, there's, well, there's one town of 3000 people, 20 minutes away from Wyoming whiskey. And that's the biggest town for four hours in any direction. And it's just, It's wild. So we were staying in a a Best Western that was centered around an old hot spring. So the whole place smelled (laughs) like sulfur. And it was was experience. a lot of experiences like that, but also amazing. Like Mm -hmm. seeing parts of the country you would never go to. Otherwise, we went to a lot of national parks along the way. And
2: uh, yeah, but it's it's very much become part of how we assess the distillery because under having that experience, getting a chance to feel climate and talk to people and walk Mm -hmm. a distillery and go way down the rabbit hole with them about their process and why they chose that particular process and what it means for how they think about whiskey. It was so important as we began telling the stories of these distilleries that it is something that we've committed to that now it's this is 100% always going to be something that we do. It helps us both just see what they're up to make sure the whiskey is of the level that we want it to be before it goes into our program and it helps us explain why the whiskey is so special and tell the story of those brands that we're working with
1: yeah like i'm a i'm a a journalist and as a journalist i always saw myself as a storyteller so we want to find the distilleries that not just are making great whiskey that's just like the starting point but like Nora said, have something to say, have a unique story. How do they come to start doing this? Why are they doing it the way they do it? Why, what does their climate do for that? Like we, just as I did when I was writing for whiskey advocate, we use what we're doing at lost lantern to help them get their stories out there and introduce it to new people.
0: Yeah. And it's, and I, I, I like that, you know, I've told my, my children, I've, I've got, two kids, both are under the age of, of 13. And then, you know, they, they get those questions. I'm like, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I've told them forever. It's like, the only thing I ever want you to tell people is I want to be a storyteller because regardless of what career path you go down, if you can tell an effective story, whether it be from a business perspective, which is what I do, or from a more creative perspective, which is what my wife does. Mm-hmm. Like it it holds uh, true. That is a, it's a valuable skill Um, It's kind of no matter what you do, but a lot, there's a growing trend of, of craft distilleries that are, trying to create fantastic distillate with the intent of being bought out. Um, you know, like they want to build up a brand, they want to sell it to a Stoli or sell it to a Diageo and, and make a bunch of money. And and there's nothing wrong with that, but that doesn't feel like you would have to get on the ground with the distillery to kind of get a feel for, it. is that their goal? Or are they, you know, creating something intentionally crafted with a unique story to tell? And, and I like this idea that you guys are going and, you know, making sure you kind of feel out the brands and I'm not saying anything negative about those other people, but um, when you did this, this was like in 19 and 20, right? Uh, that that you did the eight month trip sometime around From that 2018 through 2019. Yeah. yeah, 2018 through 2019. Sorry. Yeah. So since then, and, and I may be wrong, but I feel like there's been a really large boom of craft craft distilleries. Decil- there was a bunch of them, but we're up beyond I think 2,000 now yeah. in the United States. Like, are you going to do this again? You're going to do another like eight month? Let's hit everywhere we can. Never Not again. That long? but <laughs>
1: No. I, I actually spend- <laughs> I spent a little more than a month on the road earlier this year in mm-hmm. April and May, just driving around the Southeast and like Tennessee and the Carolinas and, and Georgia and dipped into Florida a little bit to visit some places there and only really scratched the surface doing that. Um, but there's, there really are so many places that are opening up and we find it's often takes them five to 10 years, usually closer to 10 before they're at the spot where they really, honed in on their process the whiskey has aged a little bit they're really happy with what they're doing and starts to get the point where it's it's interesting for us so we're always keeping an ear to the ground i have a long list of places that where it says like i'm going to check back with them in two years when it's a little bit older and mm-hmm. um really getting in there because there's going to be a lot of really really exciting stuff in american whiskey five years from now not just in from kentucky but from all over the country
0: yeah yeah it's Uh, I I agree. And I I hope most of it's not coming from Kentucky because, you know, we we have a neat, not even niche, we have a market, we have a major market with Mm -hmm. with bourbon or Kentucky whiskey specifically, but the rest of the United States has a lot of things to say. And uh, that's far more interesting. Like I live in Kentucky. I'm from Mm -hmm. Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to see what everybody else has got to say. Um, Do do you guys keep a, a, like a library of all of your bottlings, just like a historicity situation here? Yeah, okay.
2: we, we have a number of, we, we hold back at least a case for our own purposes of all of our releases. And some of those may be released in the future, a handful of those, but some of them are just because we need a reference. We And it's mm-hmm. really important for us to understand where distillery, even in our partnership with them, um, where that distillery started and, and where they've been since we started working with them.
1: So. I, I think we we started to explore what that looks like a little bit with our fall release because that included a... A five year old bourbon from Cedar Ridge, but our our very first single cask bourbon in twenty twenty was also from Cedar Ridge um, mm-hmm. so that was just two years ago that was a, a like a three three and a half year old cask at that point and the, this new one is five so it's just interesting to see that difference as they 've just matured a little bit over the last two years and um I think both are both are great the first one is like much is a little lighter and creamier the new one is is like bigger and spicier. But it's it's fun to start to see distilleries really evolve in in real time like that. Yeah.
0: So you, you you're you're effectively building. And I assume you guys have a plethora of samples as well from from numerous different distilleries. Okay. You have more of a like a, like a microclimate of United States whiskey kind of existing as a part of your brand. And you know there's there's some anthropology in there, I think. <laughs> but it, is has there has there been a single bottling that you guys have done? so far that you're like, this is the measure of success, not necessarily flavor profile, but like this is the thing that we're going to measure our success against going forward.
2: That's a good question. I think there are a couple of them and they're usually the really innovative ones. The ones that we don't even know to ask for. Like one of our very first um, whiskeys that we put out was from iron root Republic in Texas was a corn Mm -hmm. whiskey from there. That was very they distilled it very early and when we went to to visit them we went to buy bourbon and they said sure you could buy bourbon but you have to taste our corn whiskey too and that was something that was really special and delicious and we were like we're gonna buy it we have no idea if if people are gonna want it but it's this is the kind of thing that we build our business on innovative things like Mm -hmm. and we it was what was the price at 108 And we were like, the likelihood of that selling, a $108 bottle of corn whiskey selling, we were like, we don't know, but this is what we have to price it at. And it sold out so fast. And part of it is because Iron Republic has made a a name for themselves. Um, But it's also an exciting thing for us when it comes to the willingness to explore. Um, Yeah.
0: And I mean, there seems to be this weird interest in corn whiskey in, in North America right now. Cause I know um, Scotch malt whiskey society did an unbranded. What is a you know, North American corn whiskey that was basically advanced aged mellow corn. And they had no problem selling through that either. Yeah. Like there's, there's this weird group of people who are like, yeah, no, we'll buy all the bottles. Give me all of them yeah. because you don't find an advanced age corn whiskey or anything unique going on with that. It's just kind of a, whatever (laughs) I don't even know yeah
1: mellow corn in particular has got its fans like us included but I remember seeing years ago when we lived in Brooklyn we were in a bar and I saw a guy with a mellow corn t-shirt I was like I need that but it doesn't (laughs) exist no they've never made it he just clearly made a mellow corn t-shirt for himself (laughs) Uh, I
0: I assume they use maybe their $25 marketing budget for a year and made one shirt and gave it away to like the the single twitter follower they might have had or whatever um, but you're, it's exactly right. There's a, there's a significant cult following that exists um, in the, in that type of thing. But is there a, a cult classic brand bottling that we're all missing out on, right? Like, so you guys are seeing all of these things. You're, you're kind of experiencing all of these people. Is there one out there that, that, that the, the average consumer's not seeing that they need to know about?
1: Yeah. I think that um the, the very clear answer for me on that is McCarthy's yeah. Oregon single malt. Uh, it mm-hmm. is a, it's a peated single malt made with Isle Peat. It is, to my knowledge, the very first American single malt they started putting out in the mid-1990s. And the interesting thing is that people who have been in the whiskey world for a little longer are pretty familiar with it. They remember it from when it was big in like 2000, 2005. It won a ton of awards back then and is even better today than it was back then. But they haven't had the the marketing budget that some places have and just have really been focused on making the whiskey and aging it and letting it get really, really good and it just hasn't gotten out there as much. So that's the one that we always tell people, like especially if you're a Scotch lover, if you love smoky whiskey, try McCarthy's. And we've used that single-handedly to convert a bunch of people who are mm-hmm. skeptical about American Single Malt mm-hmm. into saying like, okay, I see what, what's going on here. This is pretty cool. Yeah. Well,
0: now, now I feel like I'm in the know because that was the, <laughs> that's the exact same take that I had on McCarthy's. Uh, <laughs> I was... Whenever the uh, maybe this time last year, when they were beginning the initial proposals of um, American Single Malt going mm-hmm. to TTB to get its classification, and I started like reading the newsletter every month, like waiting for them to be like, Oh, we're doing it, we're finally doing it, and you know, and then I gave up. And then over the summer, they're like, Oh, we're finally doing it, right? Yeah. Um, but I was like, Okay, so like if I want to learn about American Single Malt, where do I go? And I found like maybe three articles that all mentioned McCarthy's as the original, but that's the extent of it and nobody was talking about it heavily then or now for that matter. And, um, it kind of, it kind of feels like a big miss on on our part. Um, at least on my part, not I mean, y'all y'all <laughs> know that it's there, but on my part on people, people that are like me that are going to sit in a room by themselves and talk about whiskey into the ether. Yeah. Um,
2: but they're one of the brands that made us believe that this could work because mm-hmm. they don't, they're not known. And they were on our short list probably had like 10 distilleries that we wanted to work with when we started before we went on our road trip. And they were very squarely in that short list going, this is a brand that deserves to be known. No one knows about it. If there's someone pointing to a small group of brands, they should be on that list and we need them to be part of our program. So. Yeah.
1: When you think about it, there are, there are these cult bourbons that now are completely impossible to get. And five or 10 years ago, they were sitting on a shelf gathering mm-hmm. dust and you could buy them for, 20 bucks and now you've like probably paid 15 <laughs> times that amount yep and we feel like there are some hidden secrets like that in the world of american single malt and
2: they're the the number of those kind of brands in single malt is quite large relative to rye <laughs> or bourbon at and, this point
1: point. and it's going to be the kind of thing where in 10 years people are like i used to see that all the time and i never bought any and now it costs a uh, mortgage payment yeah <laughs>
0: That's that's the hope, at least. Right. Because, you know, I I remember thinking about and this isn't even for a cult brand. Right. Not even for a cult brand. But I remember thinking in the mid 2000s, towards the end of the 2000s, you know, Weller Weller 12 year was just starting to hit and it was getting to like 50 or 60 Mm dollars on the secondary market. I'm like, I'm never going to participate in that. I'm not going to do it. And I wish I had emptied out my 401k and bought every (laughs) bottle I could because I would be retired now like I that's know. that's where it is and so you know that's some of us are like ah oh, maybe this will happen with american single malt. not that i want to you know prospect on making money on it i just want to know ahead of time so i can have a few stashed backs so i can drink them when they're unfindable um but what's what's maybe a, a new to the market brand that everybody should be paying attention to
1: mm-hmm. that's a good question that is a good question yeah and i think that um copper works is which is in mm-hmm. washington state is is relatively new they're in our fall collection uh, and they are only available in washington state but uh it was founded by some of the top craft brewers in seattle who had been working and brewing there for 20 years and eventually were like why don't we go make whiskey and if you make like really good whiskey it should be made from good beer so they're basically mm-hmm. distilling non-hopped beer and mm-hmm. aging that and it's um like, like, like our, in our release, they're working with local farmers, growing unique varietals of grain that make sense for the Pacific Northwest. And it's really, for us, it's the forefront of innovation in single malt. It doesn't taste like scotch. It doesn't taste like Japanese single malt. It tastes like distinctly Pacific Northwestern. And we really love those regional styles that are, are starting to emerge. Like Whiskey Dabak, too, in, uh, in Arizona with Mesquite smoke single malts.
2: It's hard because they're ten years old, but yeah, they're yeah. just starting. Like it's, a lot of these <laughs> distilleries have been so focused locally that they're just starting to break out mm-hmm. of the regional market. So a lot of the places we work with, it they, they don't feel new to us because we know how long they've they've um, been around. But we know that they're they're somewhat new to drinkers. I think another great example is Frey Ranch, which yeah. is becoming also a cult, um, <laughs> yeah. or with. It, getting a cult following but because they're primarily released only in nevada and california yeah. but they make some really fantastic um bourbon and rye as well and we put out two bourbons with them so far and it was hard to keep <laughs> them on shelves or i guess on internet shelves yeah. um right. so
1: We're, yeah. a Good spot to throw in that we um Los lander is primarily available uh online like we work with retail partners that can ship whiskey to around 40 states so mm-hmm. on our website lostlanderwhiskey.com it just does a drop down you put in your state and it tells you where to go yeah. sometimes it's Sealbox, sometimes it's other retail partners um but we're generally not on store shelves
0: yet mm-hmm. since so it's, it's such small volume. it's hard
2: when you're doing single casks yeah yeah you said yet
0: though is there an intent to be on a store shelf
2: we will eventually yeah. that's in yeah. the long-term plans not yeah in the next three months, but it's in the next couple of years in yeah. cer- d- doing what you'll see from everyone else, like slow rollout so that you can make sure mm-hmm. that you can support the, yeah. the area that you're in and actually not have everything sell out immediately. Um, so we'll, we'll get there, but right now we're focusing on the best way to get out to the widest mm-hmm. audience.
0: And I, you know, I, as, as we kind of get rid of some archaic uh, spirit shipping laws, I think that's absolutely the way to go because and you know, I live in far Western reaches of Kentucky and we don't get a ton of things aside from bourbon here. There's not a Scotch selection. There's no American single malts nearby. And so most of my shopping is done online. And so I was super excited whenever you guys had Sealbox because I already spend most of my paycheck with them. So it's <laughs> like, sweet. you know, I'll be able to just have this shipped right to my home, Um, you know, kind of, kind of bring this in. But you, you said that whenever you guys went on your initial kind of journey, you had 10 distilleries that you had identified that you wanted um, to try to partner with. And I'm not going to ask any names, but did you end that trip and like, okay, of these 10, there were two or three that you're just like, nope, uh, we, we don't want to partner with them. Or did you come out and be like, we were exactly right?
1: It was, it was mostly right. And then we found so many more places that we mm-hmm. had not known about right. and wanted to partner with. Cause that was part of the idea for this in the first place. Like we were pretty involved in the spirit scene in New York city. So we knew a lot of brands already, but you know, end up knowing the brands that have the reach to other if they're not based in new york that they have the marketing dollars to go there and talk to journalists and sell mm-hmm. the after wines whereas there are other places like like Copperworks in washington watershed in ohio where like they're just they're happy with their home market they don't they don't care if it's known around the country yet um mm-hmm. and so those are the, the hidden gems that we really wanted to and, and we
2: had to go around yeah. and visit and ask other distilleries who else yes. they liked in that area. And that's how we found some of the the lesser known nationally names, um, because who who better to ask than a distiller yeah. um, that we respect?
0: And that, that's a thing that's unique to the whiskey marketplace, to me, at least, is that you rarely go into any marketplace and be like, all right, we like what you have, but who like what are your competitors that are really good as well? Cause most people are like, no, I'm not telling you that, but right. within whiskey, they're like, no, let me tell you about this guy over here. That's doing this thing. That's really, really cool. Like, I, do you guys find that weird too? Is like an odd thing.
2: We love it. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it speaks to why we like being in this industry and why we like what we're doing. Cause we see all of our, the, the relationships we have as partnerships, but it really is a mentality where I think in some ways, all of these distilleries feel like upstarts. And mm-hmm. so, if they get some success, they want this other person to. And so, there really is a, like, all. Sh- what is the saying? Rising lifts. A rising tide lifts Thank all boats. I can never yep. get it right. Yep. <laughs>
0: I use that I at work at least 100%. ten times a, a week. So I, I understand. <laughs> yeah,
2: but it does. It feels like they're in it together, especially in in states where it took some work to get um, the ability to distill, and so they those distilleries had to band together five, 10 years ago to be, to be legally allowed to distill that really, that camaraderie is is built out of those kind of relationships and extends. And we've seen it extend um, many years after that.
1: And we we couldn't do what we do if it wasn't like that. Like we're going to distilleries and saying like, Hey, your whiskey is really good. Let us, let us buy some and put your name on our bottle right under our name. So like they have to trust us with, with their brand name and, and trust us with their story and if it was a, a market where everyone is at each other's throats all the time, that would never happen. But, oh, right. but instead, they see us as just another part of the community, a way to get the story out there to people they wouldn't be speaking to otherwise. Right. And just an opportunity to do something cool. Sometimes an outlet for unique casks that even for places that do have national reach, but for, for
0: smaller things that they wouldn't know what to do with otherwise. Mm-hmm. So you guys have in, in this particular fall release, you have two offerings from Cedar Ridge and then you Mm -hmm. bought from Cedar Ridge before. Are they, do you guys have like a list of favorites and like they're kind of sitting on the top of it or, you know,
2: like. They're they're What we call one of our core partners where Mm -hmm. they are great people, easy to work with very consistently, fantastic whiskey. Mm -hmm. And going back to what we both said a little bit, they have a really unique perspective on whiskey what the whiskey that they make is really interesting and feels very Iowa to us. Um, And it's not Kentucky bourbon. And that is one of the things that we love about them. So it's, it's a combination. We generally look for the people have to be great. The whiskey has to be great and Mm. they have to have a unique perspective. And they, they're one of a handful of distilleries that really hits that mark for us.
1: And they, they were one of the places that we knew, from before we even started a road trip that we wanted to work with them. Yeah. And since, I think even after we first visited, but uh, for the last couple of years, they've been the top selling bourbon in Iowa. They outsell mm-hmm. Jim Beam in Iowa by like 35, 38% now. That's ridiculous. Like, at a much higher price point. I'm still like 30, 30-ish dollars, but compared to Jim Beam, that's a, a big jump. And it's just, it shows the loyalty of of their, their fan base in Iowa. And we really like to highlight that in the rest of the country, people who can't necessarily get their hands on it. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, Iowa State um, pride seems to be pretty, pretty heavy there. Um, uh-huh. But the, then he also has that. He does the quintessential, which is the, the thing. Like, I, I love all of that. Um, this this core partner list. Is this like a thing that you guys talk about? Or is it just kind of like you just you're saying like who who else is a core partner? Balcones is
1: one of our core partners. There's not there's nothing formal to it. No. There's no contract with them or anything like yeah. that. It's just the places that we worked with before we have worked with a second time and we know we're going to keep on working with and starting to do um, other kinds of projects beyond single casks with them too. Um, I think those are the the two most notable ones right now from things that we've actually announced or released so far.
2: It's more, it's not, as as Adam said, it's not official. It's mm -hmm. more just how we think about it internally, Mm -hmm. because as we, as we build our brand, it's who are we going to, potentially start buying larger amounts of whiskey from over
0: time yeah and that i mean this is entirely selfish because now i'm like okay now i'm getting a list of people that i need to regularly purchase things from which luckily i already have things from both of these brands like, these are these are people that i'm already following so i feel like i did something sort yeah. of right um and, and you mentioned in there you may not be able to say anything else but you mentioned other kinds of projects than single barrels yeah what, what does that mean or can you say what that means am i allowed to talk about that well, i got to talk about it yeah. um you, you you can like i said before we started <laughs> we you can have, say we've no we've hinted
2: at it we yeah. it's not we had yeah. hoped to get th- um, some new stuff out this year but it's they're not actually going to come out
0: until yeah I, I, I don't want you to say anything that you're not ready to say it's yet fine. i just, <laughs> just I, heard, I heard the thing in there and i, I can ask again we're, later
1: we're, we're working on creating some some releases of whiskey that are sourced from a single distillery but are a little larger than just a single cask but are still okay.
0: there both unique to that
1: distillery and unique to us. So we'll have to it's a way for us
2: for, for those releases that go faster than we would like um, mm-hmm. to build volume and be able to do unique things. Cause every once in a while, something will sell out in an hour and that's cool because there's a lot of demand, but that sucks for all the people that don't have the ability to get on their computer at mm-hmm. noon on a random Thursday. So <laughs> we're trying to do it so that it both like continues being really unique and exciting, but doesn't create this mad scramble on a given day, because we don't, we don't like that as consumers. And we know that right. some, of, some of the people we work with, that's really frustrating. So we're trying to balance unique with the ability for people actually to get their hands on a product.
0: Awesome. That, so consumers appreciate that. Now I work in software, so I'm in front of my computer all the time. So those things don't bother me because that sometimes I can sneak in. I can be one of the people that sneaks in and grabs a thing before it's available. But then sometimes I'm in a meeting. I, I understand that. Um, have you, are you guys considering any contract distillation or are you going to always be just doing independent bottling?
1: It's It's always going to be independent bottling, but there may be some places probably among our core partners that we eventually say like hey we're gonna buy x number of casks from you every year we'll guarantee that mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't think we see the need to have them lay it down for us as mm-hmm. as new make right away mm-hmm. which is the way it often works in scotland's with some of the bigger independent bottlers because we want it to age in the environment where they are we're based in vermont whiskey doesn't age very quickly in vermont it's pretty cold for about yeah. six months of the year and uh very cold mm-hmm. for the other six months right. um so it's
2: Yeah. And I think the distinction we make between contract bottling and independent bottling, whether or not you're buying mature whiskey or um, new make is we think of independent bottler bottling as buying whiskey that that distillery would make for themselves. And even if it's new make and we're aging it, Mm -hmm. we may think about that down the line. But like contract bottling where we're prescribing, it's still their product and their
0: storage location made to their specifications. You're just saying we're buying this ahead of time. So that way we know we have the volume x years down the road
2: exactly exactly and i think that that's nice for them and mm-hmm. nice for us so we can all plan yeah. for that so we are going to do yeah.
0: something you, you have the potential to say you know you guys normally age four years and we're going to take it to seven because right. we want to do something unique it's still their stuff it's just an advanced age version of theirs yeah. exactly so it uh, i like hearing that you guys are doing things to try to you know increase the, the volume that you'll have available to to people but I, I read that i think you guys expect to do somewhere between five and six thousand bottles this year is 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 are are you going to make that or is this a successful year or
2: it's a, it's a successful year we're we're not going to hit that cuz we pushed some releases mm-hmm. covid is mean it is not very nice <laughs> to production and right. to supply chains and stuff like that mm-hmm. so some of the things that we had hoped to get out by end of year this year in order to do it really right and make sure mm-hmm. that all the the links in the chain are are hit correctly we were pushing them to next year because it's more important mm-hmm. to to have the whiskey be good and the labels look right and have all the information ready than to rush anything out the door
1: that's, that's especially true for um, for blends of whiskey from multiple distilleries, which we, we mm-hmm. did one of those so far. We launched with it uh, and we're, we have more in the works, uh, which we think is beyond single cast is really a way to bring flavors together in a new way. Mm-hmm. And you see so much of that in Scotland where yeah. like, Isla Single Malt is great on its own, but it's also great when you add a little bit of it to a blend of a bunch of other things and brings out right. many flavors that aren't there otherwise. So yeah. we're exploring that with American whiskey as well. And yeah. our, our flagship American Vata Malt is a blend of American Single Malt from Six distilleries from all across the country—from uh, Massachusetts, Virginia, um, Texas, New Mexico, Washington, and Oregon. I usually go in the opposite order, so yeah, that I was impressive. I can never remember um, all of
2: them. So, and
1: all the distilleries on the front label, on the yeah. back label, and like we still, even through blends, we want to tell the story of what these places are doing.
0: Yeah. So you, you through through the course of answering that question, you answered my my next question that I was going to ask. <laughs> is the, so the and a, and a. Talked to, to the guys about uh, with mashing grain with their borrow page mm-hmm. offering. Is that this idea of blended whiskey kind of has a negative connotation in North America as well? Um, because we think of blending totes of commodity whiskey just to make something that's sellable, um, trying to get something out that you don't think is necessarily great. And, and how do you combat that? But I think you answered that in saying that on the back side of the label, you're going to point out this is where it's coming from to make the blend. Because you're trying to say we're actually creating something with intention as opposed to just trying to get rid of a bunch of bulk whiskey. Um, Is that the intention behind it or is that just a positive byproduct?
2: No, I mean, that's know. So for us, it's the blends are to bring out certain types of flavors Mm -hmm. to provide perspective. Our American Badden Malt is intended to give people a perspective on the landscape of American single malt right now. So it's supposed to show where it is and give you a sense of what's being done. It has some peated single malt in it. It has some mesquite smoked single malt. Um, other things that we're working on may be regionally focused or flavor focused. And it's never like no additives, nothing, not blending anything out. The idea is to give people access to flavors that one single distillery, it's impossible to make. If you're pulling Texas whiskey and Nevada whiskey and Iowa whiskey and putting it together, Inherently, it's going to create something. Hopefully, delicious. If it's not delicious, <laughs> we're not putting it out. But um, the it, it
1: different than some of its parts. Yeah,
2: exactly. It's it better than the sum of the parts. Right. Different perspective should be something that enhances people's understanding of American whiskey.
0: Yeah, and I listening to a completely separate podcast where um dixon Deadman and nick from feigning goat were yeah. talking about blending and they're like you know if you take red and blue and put it together it makes purple but in whiskey blending if you put red and blue together you may get yellow right, right. because whiskey blending is a completely different creature it's not always the same as the sum of its parts um it, did you f- when you did your blend did you feel like that was a completely different skill set than picking like a really good single barrel or walking through your your single barrel watering bottlings
1: yes well for for that first blend we we sort of cheated a little bit because we instead of blending that entirely ourselves that was our very first release and we actually did it on our road trip we were at a whiskey conference and we invited some of our very favorite American single malt distillers and blenders from around the country to create that blend with us. Mm-hmm. and yeah. They brought barrel samples and over the course of a long day, we blended it together. So it was kind of our way to tap into all of their expertise and also see them getting to blend with other people's whiskey, not just the whiskey that they made themselves, but, but their peers.
2: It also so helped was, us get access to cool yes. casks because everyone was showing off for each other. Brilliant. But I, now that we've done more blending, I think it's both similar and different than selecting casks. I mean, our, there there's basically blending instincts so having a a, a, a instinct ahead of time about what's going to play well which we're still developing very much we don't necessarily have but at the same time when it all when it comes down to it we're still tasting something and it has to be good and that's in many ways the same process so getting to the point and saying yes is not actually that different than selecting a cask and saying yes this is of a single cask quality. So it's that it's that in between, it takes us a long time because we don't ha- necessarily have the full instincts where some some of the distilleries we work with, they know, they taste it and they say, oh, we know that this random cask that, that without having done this t- 10,000 times, right. you wouldn't realize that that's the cask that's needed. So we'll sometimes go way off left field and it's totally the wrong direction. And then we have to Try again and we're still learning. That is a very different skill set. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to assessing whether or not a blend is ready to go, that is very consistent with our trained palettes already.
1: And you right. use different whiskey for blends than for single casts. Like yeah. if you blend mm-hmm. your 10 favorite single casts together, it's probably gonna taste pretty bad. Mm-hmm. They're gonna conflict with each other. It's gonna be like right. one big garbled mess. Yeah. Um, but when you're looking for blends, you want certain some barrels that don't stand on their own, but add something that wouldn't be in the blend otherwise. Right. Like you would never just eat a tablespoon of chili powder and be like oh wow that was amazing but if you add that to a dish at the right time and in the right amounts it's going to make it so much better than it would be without it
0: yeah although you may be on to the next like viral internet craze is just eating chili powder just straight out <laughs> yeah you um, heard it here folks <laughs> we'll put it we'll put it out into the world now um but oh i had a thought and i lost it completely the chili powder threw me off it threw me so far off um well, i just came up with that one on the fly so i'm gonna use that again. It's, it's good stuff right oh I, I know what i was gonna ask so um I, i've been a part of selecting a single barrel before and you, you have people that have very distinctly different palettes are are your palettes similar enough that there's not a lot of contention or when all right so so
2: no <laughs> we're, in, we're shaking our head for anyone that's listening yeah not watching <laughs> Yeah. Go ahead.
0: So who wins? So so whenever whenever we get down to the end of it, like, is this a like is it is it, is there like a formal debate or is it a like a, listen, I'm the one, I know the right thing here, or or like how does this work? We we both have
1: to say yes. Uh, mm-hmm. So we we are both. I'm I'm the head of whiskey sourcing, so I'm the one who's going out and like chasing people down, and getting them to send us samples. But ultimately, we're both on the tasting panel, and we have we decide together, and both have to agree because. We're putting out whiskey from places that a lot of people don't know or haven't tried before. And it costs money. It's, and that's, mm-hmm. that's valuable. So we want as wide a group of whiskey lovers as possible to appreciate it. So um, we do have quite different palates. I tend towards more, like, I really love smoke bombs and, and face sweeter bourbons and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And you prefer it more like delicate and like Nuanced. structured. And- <laughs>
2: No, and but it it's worth noting that, like we now have had to go to two distilleries and say, "We both love your whiskey. we cannot agree on a cask, so we can't mm-hmm. move forward with buying one of those. We've already now gone back and done samples and bought casts from them, but mm-hmm. there is no trump card, there's no winner if for any reason, neither of us say yes to it. We'll taste it and taste it and taste it and taste it and hope that someone changes their mind. But if we can't get there, we won't buy a cask. Now, that being said, you can sometimes tell who is the dominant voice in a cask. We've started mm-hmm. some of our some of the people that buy a lot from us have started to understand if it's an Adam cask or Nora cask and I know who was the one that was really pushing for it. And the other person probably was like, okay, fine. Yes. This will, this will be exciting to this group of people. But when it comes down to it, we both have to say yes.
1: And
0: so so are of- you the, you guys are the tasting panel, the two of you, yep. that's it. Yep. yep. For now. Okay. You were going to say something, Adam, sorry. Go ahead.
1: Um, I was going to say, unlike a lot of like single cast selections for like a club or something like that, we, we never select or never do the final selection on site. Mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. sometimes we'll taste barrels there, but we'll always say like, you have to send it to our neutral lab, which because of COVID is our kitchen table. Um, but so we can taste it in that neutral environment because I'm sure, you know, you go to a distillery, you fall in love with the environment, the, the the feel, the air, the aromas, everything tastes great. And then when you come back home with it, you're like, OK, these are all good. But these two or three are the ones that really, really shine. Um, so we we always do that and never buy um, when we're in the room.
2: Yeah. And we taste everything a minimum of three times. Yeah. So no fewer than three I think the highest we've done 14 flights on. I don't think it was that many. Maybe 12, but it was, it felt like it was endless. Cause it was, (laughs) the issue was that we both said yes to too many. Um, <laughs> at the time, it was pretty early for us. We could only buy four casks from, or two casks yeah. from that distillery, and so the issue was not whether or not we were going to buy it. The issue was which ones. Choose yeah. two of them. Were we going to buy? And that took forever. Um, so
1: there was a the rare time where every single sample we got from that distillery was amazing and all totally different from each other. Yeah. They were they were from St George Spirits in in mm-hmm. California, which is the mm-hmm. oldest craft distillery in the country. They're they're forty years old this year. Um, and everything was good and totally unique. So we just really had to, to tear a hair out to figure out which ones. <laughs> right, Cause far. everything,
2: I think it was like, they sent us 12 samples and 10 of them were a yes from both of us. Yeah. And so then it's, we slowly, mm-hmm. painstakingly, every time we tasted, we removed probably one cask and said, okay, this is our least favorite. And that was the oh, hardest gosh. one we've had to yeah. do so.
0: So And I I like the rule of three. That's kind of how I live as well. Like anytime I taste something, if I like it the first time, then I know that at some point in time I'll like it again. But if I don't like it, I have to try it two more times, weeks apart. I want, you know, some, some time to, you know, maybe it's something I ate. Maybe it's the environment around me. Maybe I'm getting a cold, whatever. Things can impact, you know, your your flavor profiles. And then you guys mentioned tasting, you know, on site, if you're doing a a barrel selection, say at you know, uh, wild Turkey in December, and you're mm. in the Rick House and it's 30 degrees outside, it's not gonna taste the same as whenever you pull it out yeah. and it's warm and hot. And so I, I I I can appreciate that. And for all of the distilleries that bring you into a warm heated place and bring you, you know, room temperature whiskey, that's it's fantastic, but you can get caught up in the moment. But um going back to the you know, you guys kind of opposing each other, having things that you can identify as a his versus a hers bottle um have you ever thought about releasing two single casks one she picked one he picked and say all right but not tell people which one's which it's like hey you know here's the two and then after the fact you can say ah this is who picked that you
1: know i think we'll probably do that in uh in another year or two like start <laughs> to get a spot where we each get like one red card a year or something or a green card where we're saying yeah. like okay even if you said no to it i love this one about that we're just doing it get like and tell people that yeah. um and i do think that'll be interesting um but and then we'll we'll get a little competitive with each other about it which we'll hope yeah
2: we've, we've but, kind we, of already done one where I yeah. oh I almost it was like almost overruled you we did we did about a cast from balcones that was mm-hmm. aged four or five years in tequila and he doesn't really like tequila so that oh, ended right. up being a conversation where it was like you're you're like you. This is something that you're just not ever gonna like. Now we have. Yeah, to you have to an inherent bias towards here. tequila.
0: You can't. It's hard to be, you know, subjective towards whether this is good or not.
2: And yeah. that's sold out so fast. So I already lorded over him. <laughs> uh, that's so that's
0: exactly what I expected because this is how it would work in my household. As well. <laughs> it's this is exact same situation. Like, yeah. I told you so. Yeah. Because exactly. you know, my wife could be like, you know what, we're gonna pick this absinthe age thing. I'm like I'm never gonna like it. I don't mm-hmm. like black licorice at all, ever
1: um i will say the, the worst words to say to your your spouse who's also your business partner are i told you so, so
2: <laughs> no yeah. no
0: it's not the worst but it's pretty high up there there are other things like you know, like, like i spent all of our money that could be, you know, could <laughs> That's be worse like, yeah we have no revenue or right. we are you know like those are all things that could be worse but um still in the, the business because i've got a t- i've got several like non-business related questions so we'll get to those eventually maybe i don't know we might have to do this again some other time because i'm <laughs> pushing my, my one hour time frame. Yeah. is there a brand you guys want to work with but you're not
1: yet we we really love westland distillery in in seattle which has done some really unique things for for american single malt and is one of the leaders in that field um and our have have been working on them for a while so hopefully sometime soon but um truly love them. Yeah. Um who else is there? Um I mean I think they're they're called places that we know we'll never be able to work with like Strana Hands in Colorado. They make great whiskey. They have they have corporate ownership that is generally not open to doing these kind of things. So it's like mm-hmm. we we had heard from the one of the distillers there that's just like hey like we love what you're doing. This is super cool. It's just not going to happen but um which is too bad but they're they're great
2: i think also we talk here and there about working with some of the older distilleries if Mm -hmm. if they're willing to sell us whiskey in the way that we do because putting a brand name on the label is is a hard sell sometimes but we think that just like you see from scotch independent bottlers once you earn your reputation Mm -hmm. then those doors start to open so we have those in our long-term sites um but it it has to be transparent. I'm
1: so. pretty happy myself to do a, a lost lantern, a uh, longer aged, uh, mellow corn. Um, <laughs> right. Maybe someday.
2: Maybe. No. Well, I
0: mean, and it, you know, the thing is with, with as much money as they pump into mellow corn, you might actually be able to work that one out. They're like, yeah, that's fine. We don't care. You know? <laughs> right. Just go, it's in that rick house. Go pick out one of the barrels. Like you have to get it yourself though. Probably. Right. Um, so <laughs> we're, we're in the, the final few minutes. So I want to mm-hmm. ask a couple things and and maybe, Maybe I'm wrong, but I was kind of diving through Instagram. I think maybe you guys might be Harry Potter fans. Is that a correct statement? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, what what are the houses? Who's who's what?
1: Uh, I'm Ravenclaw, and Nora thinks she's Gryffindor, but no, I am
2: I am Ravenclaw. We're both total nerds. So, see, I maintain that he's Hufflepuff, which is he does not like.
0: This interview
1: is over.
2: There it is.
0: I I found the place where you're like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore.
2: (laughs) Yeah, business over. (laughs) No, I think we're both Ravenclaws.
1: We're we're both we're both nerds. We like to get into the geeky details about all these kind of things and find things that other people don't know about. I think that's pretty Ravenclaw-ish.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll agree with that. And I'm significantly older than the two of you, and so like you know, we grow up with Tolkien. You grow up with Harry Mm -hmm. Potter, and then we're like, you know what? Harry Potter's good too. Um, Is it a Christmas movie? Yeah. We, we okay. actually,
1: every couple of years, we do a, a Christmas marathon of the, the Harry Potter movies. So that, right. that's, the, right that's, the post,
0: that's the post where I found it. I was like, from the marathon, I'm like, okay, this has got to be a Christmas um, thing. So you guys travel quite a bit. Um, and travel and foodies kind of seem to go hand in hand. Uh, I think maybe all foodies. What do you, do you have a death row meal? Have you ever thought about like, what's your <laughs> death row meal? I don't know about
1: no. that, but I... We we always tend to seek out, like, the local, usually the local affordable thing. Like, whether it's, like, tacos or, like, pho or Thai food or, or Tex-Mex or whatever it may be in the area. We also
2: lived in New York City for over a decade. So, mm-hmm. for us, it's also, like we want when we go to cities it's we need indian food we need <laughs> thai food
0: all the things at, that you don't have access to in smaller towns I'm, yeah I'm, I'm i mean familiar. living
2: in vermont there's amazing farm to table food here mm-hmm. but and there there are a handful of other of other great restaurants as well but you're not getting the same level of spice or um the the more kind of esoteric stuff like Sesh you don't have a szechuan restaurant in Vermont mm-hmm. so we'll we'll track that and, down
1: and worst of all we don't have a Popeyes which is very <laughs> unfortunate but.
2: for for one <laughs> of the two of us it's unfortunate one of the two of us look
0: film. I'm I'm with you I'm perfectly fine my <laughs> My wife is an ELL teacher in a community, uh, our neighboring community. Most of her students are Hispanic, Guatemala, Honduras, whatnot. Um, but I've learned, and if you want to spice up, you know, there's a lot of people that'll be like, you know, Tarje is Target, you know, you can, you can call it Pulpeyes because that is what her, the entire community of her students thought it was because they were pronouncing it phonetically based off how they understand an alphabet. Is there- you're and so they know. were like, "Hey, have have you ever had any food from Popeyes?" And she was like, "I where is this in this town? I've never been here. I need to go find out." And finally they she spelled it out and she was like, "Oh. So, if you want to just kind of bring it up a little bit Adam, Popeyes." Yeah, that's
1: that, that's happening. So, thank you for that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you you're welcome. So, um last thing, I got uh, less than 5 minutes here. You guys travel a lot. It's, it seems centric to your identities. What's a place that you have been to that you need to go back or a place you haven't been to that is on, like, you got to go there.
1: Whiskey or not whiskey. Not whiskey. Not whiskey. Um, we really need to go back to Sequoia National Park in, in California and see those 2,500 year old trees uh, that are uh, were the size of a mouse in comparison with them. It's the same ratio. So those are incredible.
2: Yeah. I think in the U.S. I agree outside of the U S well, we are th- mostly thinking about whiskey travel these days, but we're mm-hmm. looking forward to Ireland, Scotland, Australia, um, just because great, great places to visit and great whiskey scenes as well. So yeah. the only one of those I haven't been to Australia, so that's probably the, the biggest one that I'm excited about, but Ireland and Scotland,
0: And they've got cool. some single malt in Australia, so you can yeah, just make it a whiskey thing. Um, and that, so that, that brings me a, maybe a final question that I can ask, um, and you guys are doing North American or whiskeys in the United States. Are you, are you considering doing some independent bottling outside the United States?
1: I think at some point that is something that we'll look at. But with the same kind of thing, like newer distilleries, not go mm-hmm. hunt down like the same things that the Scotch independent bottlers are going for, but places from places that people don't know about. Yeah, there's a, an interesting distillery up in the Yukon that I'm really curious about. Uh, there's a place in Iceland that smokes some of its whiskey with sheep dung, uh, which I'm no, very interested in. No, <laughs> no, I mean, I, Have you I tried don't. this
0: yet? Have you tried it yet?
1: I haven't, but some of my colleagues at Whiskey Advocate did, and they gave it a 91. And a 91 from Whiskey it's Advocate is pretty, pretty good. good. That's, yeah. sheep dung That's impressive.
0: Yeah. I have I have a podcasting, uh, another podcast that I'm friends with, and they, they did a tasting of it as well, and they did not score it 91 <laughs> at all yeah. either. yeah. So it may be, it may be a device and, and they're not, they're not a, a bourbon podcast. They're air whiskey and they do a lot mm-hmm. of scotch. And so they were kind of like excited about it. And I, I can't, I can't pull the name of it off the top of my head, but I know what it is. I know exactly what you're talking about. Floki. 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 Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um,
1: so so we do that in particular, but we do think that there's opportunity for these, mm-hmm. for these whiskeys that are only available in their, that one country or they're only available in Europe to bring it. And then
2: we can buy, here buy, yeah. buy it directly actually. Yeah.
0: So I'm out to Europe, how to bottle it. I'm, I'm going to leave it here. I need you guys to do an independent bottling with Starward getting their ginger beer cask. Oh, I definitely. just because it, it it doesn't generally come to the United States. Um, the, the one of their brand ambassadors here in the United States, um Jake, has a podcast as well, and I've talked to him a number of times. And I got to try a sample of it, and it was one of the most fantastic things I've ever had. So cool. just, that just do our- that, and I'll buy like five bottles.
2: <laughs> awesome. Right off that.
0: Well, so is there anything we didn't talk about that you guys do want to talk about? Did I, did I leave anything out? And I, you, you touched it already, Adam, so I'm going to ask you to do it again. But I didn't. Okay, like, hey, where do we buy the things from? But sure. make sure we close with that so that way if there's anybody still hanging out at 58 minutes, they know where <laughs> to go buy things. Yeah.
1: And I think that's, that's the, the biggest thing is that yeah. um, it's, we primarily sell online through retail partners. So go to losantrumiski.com Put your state in the drop
0: down and it'll tell you where to go.
2: Yeah. And Uh, follow us on Instagram. We're at lost lantern whiskey. It's easy to find us.
0: And do you guys have like a professional photographer doing your work or do y'all do all your stuff yourself?
2: No, we work with sometimes with a professional (laughs) photographer. So a lot of it
0: it looks, I was going to, I was going to just say like, if you're not, you're doing a fantastic job. Um, if you are, they're doing a fantastic job. Usually if there lot- are
2: humans in the photo and it looks a little askew, then I'm probably taking it. If it looks beautiful, then we work with a great photographer. I
0: haven't seen car. anything bad on it. So that's not what I'm getting <laughs> at. But like it it definitely looked better than the quality of the things that I take with my phone that I'm yeah. like, uh, ah, let me snap the picture of that. Yeah. Um so um, Thank you guys for joining me uh, in the middle of the day. I super appreciate it. That's the thing that's always kind of uh, been refreshing about the whiskey community is anytime you reach out to somebody, they're like, yeah, well, absolutely. No matter whatever size of a podcast you have or YouTube channel or whatever, people are willing to kind of join on and talk about their, their things, their passions, uh, whatever. And what you guys are doing is, is fantastic. I know a lot of people who have drank a lot of your bottles that have a lot of very positive things to say and, my first offering should be here tomorrow. So I'm, I'm super excited about (laughs) it. Um, And uh, you know, I, I like what Cedar Ridge is doing. So that's the one that I I stuck with as well. So um, thank you guys so much.
1: Thank you so much. Thank
2: you for having us. Yeah. This was fun.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to dump you out and I'm gonna hit the outro. So thanks you guys. Thanks for tuning in for this offering of the Embellished Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave me a review on whatever platform that you have to be consuming this on. Leave a comment if possible. Hit me up on social media at Twitter or Instagram using Pod And give me a follow so you can keep up with what's going on here. I can be found at www.embellishpod.com with all of my links, accounts, and contact details. I'll be back again next week with another new offering for you. So until then, cheers and thanks for hanging out.